It is the podcast. Welcome to it. It is podcast number 10. This is Pierre Hulsebus. Welcome to hustleisthehack.com podcast. It is the Pierre Hulsebus podcast show. That's right. This is number 10. And I said if I made it to number 10, we're doing this, baby. We're all in. Okay, so here we are. It's number 10. Up to this point, I've just been kind of faking it, I guess, <laughs> just who knows who knows i'm just making it up as i go along no i kind of said hey yeah when you're at number 10 you're gonna you know do the you know you're actually gonna sit down and pay more attention to this and actually do it so i've been kind of thinking long and hard about it and well here we go we're we're on it is on like donkey kong baby so you're saying what in the heck is going on here who is Pierre Hulsebus? Well, you know, during the next 30 minutes or so, we're going we're gonna to help you get your game on. You're selling game. I'm here to help you identify, acquire, and retain the most valuable asset your business has. Customers. That's right. It's customers. Without them, nothing is going to happen. You know, you just have a club of grumpy people. You know, that's basically, if you don't have really good customers, it's just a club of grumpy people. That's not a business. Nothing happens until somebody sells something. It all starts with a customer, and sadly, it comes to an end when you don't have any more customers. <laughs> so whoever dies with the most customers is the winner. This is really, we're in the business of helping customers. That's what it's all about. How do I do this podcast, you may be asking? What is this format? What is going on here? Well, what we do is we take the latest innovations in business and proven methods and models at a pinch of my 30 years of selling innovation and information technology for to companies all over the world, mix that all together with my patent-pending Pierre's Stack of Stuff Blender, which you can freely read on my blog, and uh, we spit out this amazing insight and analysis all in the period of 60 minutes. So sit back and enjoy the show. Now, who are you? Well, hopefully, maybe you're starting a new business. Maybe you are considering sales as a business opportunity. Maybe you're just out of college or thinking about finishing college and uh, going into the sales game, you know, uh, and uh, that's what we're going to talk to you about. If you're a nonprofit, maybe you're looking for some new ideas. If you're starting a real estate business, you're looking at some ways to grow your business. Insurance, whomever. I don't. I'm I'm a I'm non-discriminatory uh, discriminatory on this. Um, I just want you all uh, to sit back and become part of of the ecosystem that I'm trying to build in the empire of the stack of stuff and the hustle is the hack, you know. And so that's what it's all about. And, uh, you know, in the background, you're here in uh, my little coffee shop that we're here. And uh, these are um, 
these are scenes, cafes that I've been at around the world. I can bring my little recorder. And so uh, we might be sitting in London. We might be sitting in, um, in uh, and you and I are just out for a, a cup of coffee. And uh, we're just having lunch together. So that's kind of what I like to think about. This informal kind of discussion that we're having here. So if you hear some background noise uh, and you're sitting and listening in your car, well, that's true. You're going to hear that. Now, if, <laughs> if you're listening to this on your iPod, uh, iPod, listen to me, in your earbuds, uh, and you're sitting actually in a diner or in a Starbucks or a coffee shop, this this sounds like you your automatic um, noise reduction isn't working. <laughs> so it's kind of a joke. That's my little joke to you. I like to uh, to insert those little jokes from time to time, like... You know, so so your ANC on your headphones is is actually working. It's just I've inserted background noise to make it. So it's of anyways. I love the irony. Anyway, so you sit back, you enjoy, and uh, we are going to get right into it. We are going to get into um, the stack of stuff here. So uh, enjoy it, and uh, thank you again for all the the time and energy and effort and the support that I've gotten over the year uh, that I've been kind of working on this, I think since April is when I started on it. We've been uh, done show, as we're saying, number 10, so we're going to get right into it. Hey guys, I'm always getting asked about my podcast and and how do you get to make it and you know what tools are you using to get online and get your ideas out there? Well, let me tell you, if you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's by far the easiest way to make a podcast today. Everything you need is all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer and then Hosting, which is kind of actually technically relatively complicated. They do all of that stuff and distribute all that stuff. Guess what? For F-R-E-E, they do all of that. It's uh, Spotify. You'll see your podcast show up on Apple, on Stitcher, all these great platforms. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, did I mention that it's free? So here's how you do it. You go to the Anchor app. Go to the App Store. Just put in Anchor. Or you can go to the anchor.fm and you can get started right away. Thanks to our sponsor, Anchor. All right. And we're back. All right. Well, this is the this is the hustle is the hack, and we're gonna get right into it today. We are going to get into the first thing that we've been talking about, and I just want to close it out here. We're getting ready to close it out. And uh, what, what is that? Well, I've been going through a long list of the 20, uh, 26.3 um, things that you can do, you can do to help improve customer retention. And why would you want to improve customer retention? Why would that be important to you? Why is that so important to everybody? Well, customers, as I mentioned earlier in the intro here, um, you know, nothing happens until you get a customer, right? So that's one part of the story is acquiring new customers. And that's one discipline. And it's great to get new customers. And it's we should celebrate that. We want new customers. That's awesome. Thank you, Mr. Customer, for coming on board. But one of the secrets to success, and all the great companies have figured this one out, if you haven't, welcome to it, is retention. 
because it costs less to retain a customer than to get a new customer. So let's think about this for a second. Every year you have to have X amount of customers to you know buy your product or service or donate to your organization, your nonprofit. And uh, or to participate in your uh, public uh, government, you know, you need you need to re- you need to have a certain amount of people involved in that exercise to give you uh, money in exchange for the service or product that you're selling. Right? We need to have customers to make that happen. We need cash, all right, to pay the bills. We got to pay the bills, right? So, um, so what do you need? So it costs money. You have to invest some money, your time into going, getting customers. You have to put some marketing together, a website. You've got to do all this stuff and uh, pay commission to, to somebody like yourself, a salesperson, maybe if you're on commission and to go get a brand new customer. Well, if that customer, uh, and then what happens over the year is that customer uses your product and then they come to another choice that they're going to make of buying your product again, renewing the contract, if you will, uh, for that, whether that's every three years when you buy, if you buy a cell phone every few years, um, I'm coming up on the renewal process for my um my car for what is that Cirrus Cirrus uh, XM radio? So with the satellite radio, do I like it? Uh, you know, because you sign up for a, basically a, a two year commitment, and it's like twenty bucks a month. And I'm like, hmm, do I really? I mean, can I just? And so I think I might not renew. I think I might not renew. So they're going to lose a customer. Now what they're going to have to do is go out and get, pay money to replace the revenue that I'm sending them just to stay even. So, um, you know, um, for me, um, I might have alternate choices or I might think it's too expensive or whatnot, but I'm going to most likely not become a new customer or renew my customer uh, with them. Um, I recently bought a phone for my lovely wife and um, we decided to go with AT&T. I was already an AT&T customer and so they were able to retain my business and so I added a new line because they made it easy to add a new line for an existing customer. So um, I went and changed things in the thing and we got set up. So my uh, the cost for them uh, was lower for them to retain me than go out and re- re- replace me with a new person. And uh, so because when you just replace, you get no new revenue growth. It's just covering the revenue you lost. So knowing your retention rate in your customer base retention is really important in your business. You're never going to grow your business unless you get a handle on this and really focus on this. So if I'm going to give you any advice as a salesperson or as a business owner, retention, number one. Keep your customers. Don't let your folks come in and get stolen away because you didn't service them well. So it's also a measure. It's customers voting with their their dollars. Did you do well? You can do all the surveys you want, but at the end of the day, it's that uh, and score your customers all you want on how happy they are. But customer happiness isn't customer loyalty. So you want customers loyal to you to stick around. That's what's more important than happiness or satisfaction is when it comes time to vote again with their dollar, do they put that vote? Do they cast their vote for you or do they cast their vote for somebody else? And a lot of times that choice of replacement comes through different means. It doesn't mean you did bad necessarily, like for example, my serious um, XM radio, you know, renewal 
Um, I'm not going to renew, not because I don't like the service necessarily. I'm not going to another satellite service like I have another choice because that's the type of radio that's in that car. But guess what? I can Bluetooth my headphone, uh, my phone in there. And I can, I already have sets of, uh, of curated uh, podcasts and I have more content than I can um, consume uh, on my mobile device. And as soon as I get in my car, it just connects to that. And I can just continue where I left off when I was in the house or doing my mower. So I'm not replacing them with a competitor um, per se, because I'm using a totally different technology. And this is where technology comes in and why it can kill your company. If you're not aware of the trends, these companies aren't competing against their competitive satellite providers. They're competing against other platforms that allow us to come in and consume sim- the same basic content or service or product but a different mechanism and that's why um, we have to well the second part of the show is so important you got to have a one-two punch you got to work on the sales component really well you have to execute perfectly you have to create this awesome customer experience to bring them in and retain them but you also have to make sure that your business is still viable as a technical platform as technology wants to come and interrupt your business. And we have a great story about uh, totally total business interruptions that are happening, and that's the, the stack of stuff that we'll get into anyways. I know that was a long kind of, whoa, why, why did you talk so long there, Pierre? That was like eight minutes. You just, just rambled on there about that. Come on, let's, let's, let's come up with a better idea. So let's think positive. We're thinking warm, happy thoughts now about how can we better retain our customers. So we are on number, what are we on here? Number, um, we are on number 23. Um, uh, uh, number 23 on this list is Send Net Promoter Surveys, NPS scores. Now, NPS is called a Net Promoter Score. And a Net Promoter Score is a forward-looking measure. A dip in NPS can indicate an early warning of customer churn. You can significantly improve customer retention by allocating resources to really strategically address low NPS scorers, right? So net promoter scores really comes to this idea of um, you can almost uh, boil it down to one question. Would you recommend this to your best friend? Would you say, if given the choice, would you make this purchase again? Like, or the net promoter score kind of ultimate question is, you know, like kind of, would you, would you recommend this to your mom or somebody like that? When you're, um, you're trying to get at if your reputation, Mr. Customer, is at stake, will you stand up and defend this company that you're buying your product or service from? Would you promote them? Yes or no? And if the, and so it's trying to get to that level of insight. And that's where um, customers really feel like your actions speak louder than words, so to speak. So on a customer survey, you could be like, for example, <laughs> for example, I'll use my XM satellite. For example, I'm very happy with the service. It's nice. It gives me really great audio quality. The product is exactly what it is intended to do. It comes satellite 
um, through my radio. So when I drive from Grand Rapids, where I live, let's say to Chicago or up north in northern Michigan, where the radio stations aren't as good, about once I get about 20 miles out of town, I can't listen to the radio station that I would listen to here normally. And um, they don't have the content that I'd like um, uh, on my local radio station either. I like to listen to BBC World News, for example. That's one of my favorite things to listen to. I like to, <laughs> to get... Um, you know, news from around the the empire. Nobody in um, nobody in my local area of the kind of Midwest has that uh, type of radio show, but I can get that through XM Satellite. So I am satisfied with the um, product, but I'm not loyal to the product. Given an option, I am going to move off that platform. And that's a really great indication of where satisfaction and customer experience doesn't always match up to the customer retention. You can have the opposite effect, that we all have that with the Department of Motor Vehicles and the government agencies around us that uh, we work with, or the utility company, or sometimes when we're, we're working with the, um, with our, like the power company or the phone company. We are a captive customer, so we don't really have a choice of being loyal. We can hate the company that we work, that we're giving them money, but we have no options to switch off them. A lot of telecommunications companies fall in this. If you are requiring high-speed internet and you only have one high-speed internet service provider in your area, whether you're happy or not happy with the price, the service, the terms of service, how well you get treated on the phone, that doesn't really matter because you're stuck. You're so you know the opposite effect can happen. So anyway, sending net um, promoter score surveys, it's it's much more sophisticated than just a survey of satisfaction or checking to see if the service experience that a customer got was good. So you want to really understand the net promoter score. And there's a lot of different ways to do this. If you have systems in place, like a CRM system, a fancy CRM system, this is something that you can do um, automatically as part of the work. Um, Often it's good to tie these um, to positive customer interactions that you may have. So if you're performing an installation or something like that, um, you can um, send that survey out and you can get these surveys back. Um, and there's other place, SurveyMonkey, if you just have a list of customers and you just want to see those numbers. One of the things that if you're really good at doing this, um, you tie your net promoter score right into the specific customer. And then when, as that number goes down or up, you're kind of monitoring that. And you, you want to keep track of this through a lot of different interactions. Over time, what's really fascinating to me, what's happening, um, you know, uh, this big software company that I work for, um, they're starting to be able to look at all of the net promoter score data across millions of interactions and use artificial intelligence and machine learning systems to give a very accurate prediction of what NPS score is based on the sentiment of emails that are uh, sent back and forth, the calls that are sent back in and forth, the buying cycles that the customer may have. Do they keep 
um, you know, um, purchasing your product and where does that frequency of purchasing sit within the continuum of purchasing services across the entire business. And so you can predict and look for forward-looking indicators. It's really fascinating what's happening with AI. But the thing is, if a customer's NPS score is going down, you need to take some action. You need to go, okay, we are at risk of losing this customer. So what are we going to do to make it better? And how are we going to improve their um, promotion? And you can kind of get that information about what that ideal customer profile would be. Because if I'm taking NPS scores across my portfolio of customers, I'm going to see, you know, understand better what specific customers' portfolios look like. And uh, so I'm going to have an ideal customer and I can see these are, they have a great score and here's the products and services they have. And here's the service um, experience they get. So NPS score is just is the killer KPI that you want to keep. And you want to, um, which is number 24 on our awesome list of 26.5 um, com- uh, components of how to improve customer retention is really act on any customer feedback you receive. So uh, as you receive that feedback and you can get that feedback all the time with customers, you can get back those um uh, surveys and you can send um, you can extract stuff out of the way customers um, communicate to s- people directly in your company you can have systems that keep track of those emails coming in look for questions or action items in there um, p- extract and build lists of action for the customer to make sure you're building action and the thing is and we've said it before that leveraging customer feedback um, gets your customer knowing and liking and trusting you because let me tell you crap happens stuff happens you could have the best team in the world taking care of your best customers and things still fall apart i mean it's just the nature of of business it's the nature of work Um, things happen bad things happen people make mistakes and that's okay and you can have a culture that says it's okay to make a mistake but it's not what happens, it's how do you take care of the people afterwards. And there's hundreds and hundreds of stories that I have heard about companies falling apart and messing up customer um, installations and experiences. And it goes down to, and I've told the story, I don't know if I told it on this podcast or not, but I tell the story often of Delta Airlines losing the luggage of uh, somebody traveling and the grandma was traveling by herself and the luggage is lost and she's standing at the ticket counter after you know really late night of travel and she's standing there and it's like the last flight into into the airport and uh, I don't know if you've been there I certainly have it's the lonely kind of empty airport and you're just standing there waiting for your bag and everybody's bag is coming off the 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 roundabout thing is it's coming out there and you're just waiting and your bag isn't coming and you're it sucks. It totally sucks. And uh, the bag doesn't show up. And grandma, she's not a frequent traveler. She doesn't know what to do. And a gate agent comes over and asks, hey, um, were you looking for a bag? Yes, my, you know, my, all my, my credit cards and my money, my purse is in there. They made me put it in there at the gate and all of this. And so she doesn't have her ID. She's got nothing. Grandma's waiting for her bag to come off. As her purse is in her, in her, um, in her bag. Her carry-on was in there. So there you go. She's she's stranded at the airport. Grandma, poor grandma's stranded at the airport. And the gate agent asks, well, um, 
uh, where what hotel? Well, I'm staying at the at this um, you know the Hilton down the street, and she's like, well, guess what? That's where uh, our our um, all of our um, our uh, what do you call them? The the you know the travel the stewardesses. That's not the right term for them. Anyways, the the assistants. <laughs> I haven't traveled in a long time, <laughs> so you know the. Um, the cabin stewards, those people, and the pilots, you know, they come off, they get on the, they take the bus down to the Hilton and they stay there. And then the next day they come in. So they're like, well, we could get you to the Hilton. Um, if you would want to wait uh, here, well, I'll just make the arrangements for that. And so they take grandma to the Hilton. And then um, one of the, one of the stewardesses talks to the people at the gate or at the, at the Hilton says, this is Mrs. Johnson. She traveled with us, blah, blah, blah. You know, she's, of course she's got her reservation there already. She just doesn't have her ID and all that stuff in there. They're like, we'll vouch for her. She's, you know, we stay here all the time. She, she traveled with us. They showed her ticket to prove who she was. She gets her hotel room. Um, you know, the next morning they find her bag, of course, and uh, deliver it to the hotel and um, grandma's all all, all happy because the the she got to travel with a pilot and all of this, and so the company gets the letter back from uh, the family saying how much they appreciated um, them taking care of grandma and all of this. So they lost grandma's luggage and stranded her at the airport. Like that was bad. That's about as bad as it gets. And yet they took that horrible situation and turned it around completely taking a bad customer experience and turning it into an awesome customer experience. So acting on that feedback um, is so important. Getting that feedback that addresses like, man, you guys sucked at delivering the service. Go fix it. And so it's like you want to just say, I hear you. Here's what I heard. Here's the action that we're going to take. Improving our customer retention rating by treating your customer's feedback as the most important source of input into your product roadmap is really big deal. <laughs> like if you're looking at how do you build for the next thing, you know, that customer feedback is really, really, really important. Um, I'm in the tech space. Not every company feels that way. A lot of companies feel that their customers don't know what they they want or what they're needing and that we're going to tell them what, you know, the future is and we're going to tell them what the product that they need is. So unless you're, you know, the product manager at Apple, um, you know, ignore that advice. You know, if I if I am trying to set up and sell stuff and build stuff, unless I'm at the bleeding edge of technology, um, your, your customer uh, feedback is the most important thing in the world for you. That is so, so, so important. And uh, so that's why you want to, number 25 on our list is have that closed loop. You want to have that closed loop around um, around that customer feedback. That's what you want to have. You want to close that loop. You want to have every possible channel to collect that customer feedback across every touch point that you have with your customer. So whether that's in the pre-sales process, whether that's at the bottom of your marketing um, material that you send, when it when you're doing your invoicing, whether you do the onboarding with um, new customers, whether you're doing the installation, setup, deployment, post-service, everything, as much as you can get is better. You can never have really enough of this. And uh, you have to have good ways to collect that and uh, let the customers feed uh, feed that back. Let them know you're listening. Respond to it in a timely, effective manner. 
And there's so many ways to collect this. So this is one of the reasons why it's good to have some technology in your systems that allow you to ubiquitously manage this across all the customer interactions to make sure that we're in we're being effective at all those actions and closing the loop because nothing builds trust more with your customer than just saying, um, I hear you. That's it. That's it. Like um, if you if you want to talk about empathy or you want to talk about, um, you know, how to build um, a, a caring relationship with people to be honest with them and to say, hey, I hear you. Um, I don't know how to fix it. I don't know what, but I, I, you're helping me understand the pain that you're going through. Now, that's an effective way to counsel somebody when you don't know the answers. It's an effective way to be a parent. And it's also an effective way to go, I don't know, kid, I don't know how to fix this. You're my first kid. I've never dealt with this before. Let's work on it together. But I hear your pain. And uh, so let me help me understand you even better. And so this is the best way um, as a salesperson to build trust with your customers is to close that feedback and to go, we're working on it. Here's what here's the plan. We heard you or that sucks. We performed poorly (laughs) and uh, admit your failure and go. And here's what we're doing to fix it. And here's how we're going to move forward with it. So close that feedback loop. Keep it um, uh, help that customer feel like they're valued, because, again, they are valued. They're the most valuable asset you have. And I will argue this every single day. I don't care who, <laughs> what company it's with. Um, you, The most important thing that you have in your company is your customers. You cannot live without them. They, you're, you're, it's like being in love. You, you my world rises and falls on my kids, my wife, my dog, my family, you know, that love that I have for them at a personal level. I feel that same way about my customers and partners. I have that not to the same emotional depth, but from a business standpoint, as, as personal as I can be, you know, I have that deep appreciation for, for them because I understand that. Uh, you know, if I'm building my business, that is the most important part of my business. If I don't have customers, I've got nothing. And uh, you may feel, you know, hey, I'm valuable because I have this invention, this intellectual property. That's great. Look at Tesla. He had a great product <laughs> until he started selling it. You know, it didn't it didn't do anything like until somebody buys your innovation, until somebody comes into your world of customers and validates your invention or your technology or your intellectual property. You can be the smartest guy in the room, but you're not going to be, you're not having a successful business. And there's the, you know, the road to, as they say, the road to hell is paid with good intentions. That is what Segway was. They had a great innovative product. They didn't have any customers buying their stuff. We have tons and tons and tons of stories like this where innovation and everything is all about the engineering and how awesome the product is, but it doesn't resonate with the customers. So until you have customers, your IP for and the way you have your employees set up, people say the employees are the most important thing here. They are not. I'm sorry. Sorry. 
the customers are the most important thing. Go ask, go ask DeLorean, which is more important, you know, the coolest product or, uh, you know, customers go ask TWA, go ask, you know, every failed, go ask Toys R Us. What is more important is, is it the brand or is it the customers? If customers aren't walking in the door, you are out of business very quickly. All right. And with that said, most businesses don't realize that customers' uh, retention begins at home. This is why it is, it is you know, your staff and the delivery of that service, it has to be in the culture. Um, the, your happy staff create happy customers. And you need to have in your organization a culture that celebrates, you know, that that customer. And people love working for places like that. This is the whole reason why, you know, people hate going to Burger King often and love waiting in line at Chick-fil-A. Because Chick-fil-A has, treats their staff well. And they emphasize customer service. And those two, one-two punch when you get that. So that you need to, I'm not saying that you sacrifice your staff on the altar of customers. You don't. Don't ever do that. You're not doing that. You're treating your staff well. You know, rewarding them, um, making sure that they have a great customer. Uh, they provide a great customer experience to your customers. And this is one of the really tricky secret kind of components that a lot of companies are realizing, which is that the frontline workers, the people at Walgreens, the people that are in the store at Walmart, the, the folks that greet you and um, install your cable, um, that fix your car, that perform the service that when you call and ask um, questions about your billing for utility company, those are often the lowest paid people in the company. They are often the, you know, kind of the frontline workers. They're the lowest paid, just above minimum wage. Many of them, it's a part-time job for some of these people. And uh, guess what? If they don't treat that customer well, that's just, <laughs> then it sucks. It sucks. You're going to lose customers as a result of poor customer service, right? We all know this. So if we're not investing in treating that staff well, that they're happy when they come to work, that they have a happy kind of experience with a customer, that when we give them feedback and when we give them coaching, it's done in an appropriate way that honors them, that gives them respect, that helps elevate their ability to do better, that gives them and rewards them for doing well. Like those are the things, if we're not doing that and we don't have that in place, you could have the best product, you could have some awesome customers, but your staff are going to screw that up really, really quickly. So you have to treat your staff like kings, like they and queens. And uh, they are they're the folks that really run the shop. You as an owner or as a boss, you can sit back and, you know, um, have all these grandiose plans about what people should be doing and how they should be working. But you, you have to treat them well and you have to help them um, on their journey that they're on and understand uh, the, the process that they're going through and how, how, how the job that they provide for you fits in their lifestyle and create a, cult, a culture that helps them win in life. And uh, it, that it's not some sort of 
like a handout that you're giving to these people that you're not, it's not some sort of, hey, we're giving them, we're you know, providing them a house. No, <laughs> they're earning it uh, by walking in the door, and especially in today's culture uh, where there's more um, need than there are people to fill it. Um, people are going to vote with their feet, and that is what is happening out there in the world right now. People are voting with their feet, and they're moving away from companies that don't provide a great um, employee experience to companies that do provide a great employee experience. All right. Well, that's the end of this segment. Let's uh, take a few moments and uh, step back, and we'll be right back after this uh, quick, important, muy importante message. And uh, we're going to come back, and we are going to get into the stack of stuff. I have way more stuff. I don't even know how I'm going to fit it all in, but it's going to be awesome. All right, we're back. And we're back. And we're back. We're totally back right now. Hope you're having a good day, by the way. It is uh, 1214 a.m. It is a Monday night. This is when this podcast usually gets recorded is on a Monday. For whatever reason, it just works out. Just works out on Mondays. Anyways, so uh, hustlesahack.com is the is the website. My name, again, is uh, Pierre Hulsebus. I am here your sales sensei. Um, During the next uh, 30 minutes, we're going to help you get your game on, your selling game. I'm going to help you identify, acquire, and retain valuable assets, position your business. How do I do all of this stuff? Well, we take the latest innovations in business, take those proven methods and models, add a pinch of my 30 years of selling information technology uh, at the highest levels that you can imagine, Um, mix that all together in my patent pending Pierre stack of stuff blender, which is available on Ronco. It's the Ronco Pierre Hulsaba stack of stuff. Uh, remember Ronco, those, all those little crappy, like pocket fishermen. Anyway, so that's, that's kind of what I was reminded like a green olive, um, kind of plasticky, ready to, to break, um, appliance, but nonetheless, it's the patented, um, stack of stuff blender, which you can freely get on my blog. And it, uh, spits out this amazing analysis. Uh, and, uh, so that's, what we're going to be going over in the next 30 minutes. We're going to be going over the, um, you know, that stuff, that's the stack of stuff. So we're going to talk a little bit about, so a couple trends, some kind of mega trends that we're seeing, one of them that kind of happened over the summer, and I hadn't really talked about this very much. I had a, a, a really close friend of my myself, a coworker of mine that went to go work for one of these, uh, one of the competitors of this company, Zillow. And uh, Zillow, if you're not aware, is in the business. If you're buying a house, they're, they've kind of become like the Google Maps of houses, if you will. You kind of go to Zillow, look at the neighborhood, and you can kind of put in all of your little like, hey, I'm looking for you know, a blue house that has this many bathrooms in it. And it'll spit out in that neighborhood that you're looking, here's all the blue houses for sale with uh, three bathrooms in them. And it'll give you the market price. You can like, you get all the information in one spot, how much the last the, how much the owner that has it paid for it. You can find all that stuff out and find about the school districts and, and what the houses, all the comps as they call them in the business, you know, what are the comparable houses? What are those going for in that neighborhood? What's the predicted growth uh, out there of the sales in the market and what are other companies 
or what are other uh, of your neighbors uh, kind of houses look like too. So you can kind of figure it out. You can get all the values of all of the houses and it's very easy to use. You can use it right on your mobile phone and they built a really cool experience. I mean, we used it. My wife and I used it when we bought the house that that we're in. We um, really, you know, you can get really good information. So um, without having to, you know, drive around the neighborhoods and stuff like that. And uh, as people are moving around, as a lot of stuff is happening as a result of the pandemic, people are moving from place to place. And uh, so there's a big, you know, kind of migration of people in and out of new communities. And so this stuff has just really become super duper popular. And they're a a technology company. And so they're using logarithmic values to predict home values. But um, they kind of... Uh, so this was the idea, you know, so we could we could use this and then uh, we can give references out to um, the real estate agents and and make a certain percentage off the sale. And they figured all of this out and they have a great um, platform for for people like yourself. That's the house buyer. Um, you're you're kind of like it's like Facebook. Um, you're part of the product, you know, basically you, you get this app for free. But uh, so it's like amazing analysis and stuff like that. But you're part of now the product that they're going to sell. They're going to monetize this. They have to make money off of this, and they have different ways to monetize it. One of the ways that they look to monetize this is they uh, developed a logarithm to predict the home value's future value. So um, with that, what they could kind of do is look at entire markets and thousands of homes way better than any small local realtor could do and and look at those technology trend or those pricing trends over time and over different markets around the country and could get a very accurate prediction of a home's value. And um so they they got that really really well, but they kind of missed some of the trends around um, the human aspects of the business. There was a really great article in Wall Street Journal that you can read um, that go into this. But I just wanted to point out if you're not aware of what they're doing, they're you know how the, how are they making money off of this? I don't pay for a subscription because I only buy a house every once in a while. Um, what they they started doing was they started buying houses at, at, at this because they could kind of pick what houses are below the value that they should based on a lot of different things. And so they're using data to drive those values and they're starting, you know, to um, they started off big, started off like with a budget for 150 of, or 1500 houses. Uh, last quarter, they uh, bought um, 3,500 houses around the country. And um, one of their main competitors is a company called Open Door, bought, using very similar technical uh, insight, bought over 8,000 homes in the same time. So they're getting out innovated, it seems like, in this. But I thought, you know, it's, um, it's really interesting to see how this is disrupting because this article is all about how these big tech companies have figured out how to, you know, kind of get into the, the house sales business without employing anybody locally they're they've kind of become like they're trying to become like the uber of homes or the airbnb where you can basically buy and sell homes without having any real estate agents which is crazy when you think about it so it's very interesting to see this trend in business that again this kind of goes to hey we're providing great service if you've i mean i bought my home through a local realtor um 
And uh, my local realtor is a guy I went to high school with that I've known for, you know, 30 plus years. And um, he specializes in homes in my neighborhood. And I stayed in the same neighborhood that I grew up in. And uh, so he knew the value of these homes and what they would go through. And he's an expert locally, you know, and he unfortunately, sadly passed away um, this summer. And uh, that was kind of a sad day for for all of us. He, He was a really great fella. And uh, it was awesome. But the, uh, you know, the, his business was, and uh, the lo- many of the local realtors, you kind of, everybody knows somebody like this if you bought locally. You know, there's a couple agents that that's all they know. They know their local market really, really well. Who are the finance options? What, you know, who the auditors or the inspectors are? Like, they can really get this thing taken care of very quickly. Anyways. So uh, that's, uh, I just thought I'd point this one out because uh, this is what's happening. The, that industry is getting totally like, um, there's a lot of risk right now in that industry. Like you guys better step up to the plate. If you're in your local realtor market, it's going to be a tough one uh, in the long run if you are not working on building out your network. Because at a certain point in time, are these companies, my question is, um, I, you know, we all used to have our, I mean, if you're old enough, like me, you remember going to, it was Schuler Books was the local bookstore here in town. Like Amazon put the local bookstore out of business. They put local tire stores, Costco and, and Sam's Club have put a lot of local companies out of business because they can offer at a such better customer experience. And when we're talking about big bucks like this, when you're making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollar investment, Sorry, you know, um, it is uh, you can have the nicest, most loyal friends uh, and this kind of relationship. But, you know, people aren't going to pay that that high rate for commissions if they can get the same service more conveniently and feel more confident about that choice at a lower price. And that's really going to be tough. So that's a tough business right now to um, to get into unless you're, you know, other uh, working in other parts more than just um, helping to buy and sell, you know, helping to flip the houses, so to speak, or, um, you know, open the door to other other ways that homes could be um, rented out for uh, other financial purposes as investments, as opposed to just, you know, um, selling a home for mom and dad to, uh, to, you know, retire in or something like that, starting to look at specialty markets uh, might be a good way to um, stave this off because uh, uh, that, that business right now is ripe for interruption, ripe for interruption. Anyways, uh, next one on the list. What's the next one on the list? So it's kind of scary, isn't it? It's kind of scary thinking about what that could be um, if you're if you're a realtor right now. But it, nonetheless, hey, if you're in real estate right now, is can be pretty good. It's a very still <laughs> lucrative business. Um, a lot of folks uh, making money, but it is tough. It is tough. Uh, very competitive. We've heard, um, you know, these companies like Zillow and stuff like that, just basically walking in the door with big checks and just writing the writing the check and basically stealing deals right out of the way. And like I said, it only goes, it's that part in Jerry Maguire. We all saw that movie. If you haven't seen the movie Jerry Maguire, you, as a salesperson, it's one of the best sales movies ever. And there's that part where um, he... Um, he has the kid and he's going to sign this guy up to be, he's going to be the, you know, he's going to be the, he's an agent. He's a sports agent. If you're not aware of it, he's a sports agent. And so he's got, you know, the kid who's like the number one recruit from college and he's going to help get him in the pros. 
And, and he goes out to the house and gives the kid the pitch and the parents are all like, this is awesome. And you guys are great. And they, he thinks he's kind of got a verbal deal with them. And then, um, while he's going, uh, cause you have multiple clients, you know, you have multiple customers. He had multiple people he's representing, uh, but he didn't have anything in writing. And so while he's doing work for one of the other guys, somebody, another agent comes and basically steals that, that custom, that, uh, that, uh, talent away from him and signs that guy up for a big contract with what another, um, place, uh, the one that he was working on, but cause he didn't have anything in writing. The guy just basically stole that deal from him and that stuff happens, you know, uh, because in the end of the day, uh, a lot of it still does come down to money for people. So it's one thing to pay a little premium for insurance coverage and some of the other things. But when you talk about this amount of money, you have to really know your value that you're delivering. And if it's just there to clerk a transaction and get paid your three to six percent commission, then um, then you you better be looking for more uh, value in your in your in your sale. You got to be looking for more. You got to be more to the table than that. And just that if that's helping people find financing, if that's um, helping people um, relocate as part of that process or the onboarding with hiring or uh, getting them in the right schools and all the other things that go along with moving. That's, it's almost like you become a travel agent for a community. It's really interesting. Anyways, that's where I'd be looking. That's where I'd be looking. All right. Next one on the list. All right. The next one on the list is also a wall street journal article on labor. So um, one of the things that's happening uh, since my last podcast was uh, in April, or no, not April, in uh, July. And so I've taken a bit of hiatus here. And one of the things that's happened over the last couple months is uh, what's become really clear. I I live in West Michigan, and um, our unemployment rate is about as low as it's ever been. Um, I could look up what that number is, but I bet you it's close to 2%. Uh, right now, which is effectively full-time employment um, here. So we have full employment, which means there's more jobs than people. And I'm already starting to see, we've seen local businesses shut their doors because they don't have enough people to service the needy customers that they have. You literally have to have enough um, uh, people to um, sell your products. So um, if what because they can't, they, they're closing their doors, they're um, shortening their hours. It's kind of like a death spiral when this happens um, in a business, when you cannot get enough people to come and do the work that you need to get done. So um, um, when that occurs, if you're not able to move the needle by either raising your prices and uh, thusly raising your labor, um, um, uh, you know, but you pay people their wages or help them uh, improve the culture in the company, uh, people have choices now. People have a lot of choices. And um, all of that shrinkage that happened during for many companies during COVID, that made them cash rich. And um, a lot of companies are ready to grow. They want to grow. They need to grow. They need to recoup those investments uh, of time and effort that have been sitting at very low growth over the last year. So they want to grow. So they're trying to grow their businesses. At the same time, you have people that have 
are making choices, personal choices that are like, I don't want to go back into the office or I, you know, I want to move to another part of the country, um, that kind of stuff. So you have these kind of disruptions that are happening. And the other thing that happened, and this does go back to one of my shows that happened a lot earlier um, this summer, which is um, the at the annual report that Amazon came out with. A lot of people forget that Amazon hired 1 million people last year. They hired a million people. Now, how bit, how many is a million people? A million people is how many people work for Walmart. So they basically hired away from the labor market one entire Walmart industry, the largest employer in the United States next to the government, right? So the largest single employer just got bested by one of the largest companies in the world. So um, Amazon basically stole, (laughs) if you look at it in a negative way, they're stealing people away from the labor market that are at the lower end, like, like, um, like lower skilled labor, let's say lower educated labor. Um, So a lot of those people that were, you know, punched in the clock at the local grocery store and, you know, making money at McDonald's and stuff like that, they're now moving over to, you know, delivering packages and uh, driving trucks and, uh, and uh, Amazon's offering better wage um, benefits, uh, pretty nice work environment. Um, I know there's a lot of negative that uh, people talk about how difficult the job at Amazon is, but um, to a person, to a person that I've spoken with that's worked there, they, they like it. It's a good, good, good environment to work in. And a lot of people want to move away from um, having a regular nine to five job. They want to go into that kind of gig economy, um, that type of uh, relationship where they work around their hours and stuff like that. So um, there has been a tremendous interruption in the um, supply of labor that's walking in the door um, looking for work. And uh, so what you're seeing as a result of that is um, some like John Deere people went on strike 10,000 people went on, walked off the job a couple of days ago, uh, rejecting uh, wage and benefit increases um, that the UAW um, um, made. Uh, so they're they're looking at the market and going, hey, this uh, we want to. Um, uh, so they gave them more, almost a 10 percent in, increase in wages, um, an average, just so you know, somebody working on the line at uh John Deere here in the United States is a pretty good gig. Uh, overall, um, the UAW, um, which is the United Auto Workers Union, um, is uh, um, those are union shops. So that's union labor that builds those vehicles. Um, the average employee right now uh, working the line makes about sixty grand there. Um, and um, the offer that John Deere was giving them would raise that average wage to about $72,000. So that's almost, that's over a 10% wage increase uh, and one-time bonuses and some better retirement benefits. Um, and, uh, but they walked away from that and they said no. And so they're asking for more money than that even. So it's really interesting to see this now. You're going to find uh, me, I'm pretty liberal, uh, libertarian, uh, conservative. And so I like the, I love these kind of conversations because uh, labor is a um, so important um, to our economy. 
And uh, having a tight labor market empowers employees uh, and gives us the ability to ask for more, uh, a, a bigger part of the pie. And that's great. I think that's awesome. And that's the way that, uh, that it should be. Um, employees should um, get, you know, um, paid fairly for their wage. And um, there's been, uh, so as the, that labor pool is shrunk uh, and demand has gone up, that's just supply and demand at work. That's just market forces. Uh, Kellogg's, I'm, I'm Michigan. Kellogg's uh, is a Michigan employer that they make cornflakes and Tony the Tiger uh, are, are made of Kellogg's. Uh, and they um, they were getting a, a huge, uh, very similar um, labor um, increase. Um, the carpenters in Washington State um, uh, passed up a 21% raise this month after holding out for three weeks. They got 21% wage increase. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it in the broader context of the economy because that kind of stuff kind of scares me a little bit around inflation because when we see in higher costs getting um, built into the products that we use, that um, that is just passed on to the customers and which it causes, you know, inflation. Um, and as supply chains are squeezed between um, the restored demand for the products and scarce labor, it creates output shortages in countless industries. So retail alone, like I mentioned, is missing a half a million workers right now. Salesforce um, did a study and they're estimating that roughly 350,000 missing workers from the workforce right now will cost companies about $220 billion in sales during the holiday season. They're putting a number to that uh, because you can equate employees in retail to the sales uh, because, you know, if you don't have enough people to take care of customers, we talked about this earlier, if you don't have enough people to take care of your customers, guess what? You don't have any customers anymore because it sucks. Uh, and so people stop coming in and that impacts, you know, your ability to sell and uh, work stoppages and whatnot. So a lot of the um, the labor muscle that's out there in the unions and the political allies that they have are really pushing to help improve the, the thousands of United Auto Workers jobs uh, right now, because it's kind of like um, a boomerang effect, if you will. During the economic, uh, prior to the economic downturn, the globalization that happened in the labor markets here in the United States, um, what it did was it really impacted and lowered the demand for the products being made here in the United States. So you had more people than there was labor. And so there their labor price never really went up. People could come in and there was less jobs. A lot of layoffs happened, right? You shrunk the labor force here, but now uh, they're back stronger than ever. Now that that, that um, labor force is basically um, uh, right-sized, if you will, now as increased demand happens, that just puts the power back into the, to the union. So it's really interesting. Um, it ends on a really good note, I think, in view of that the unions and managers can work on their own problems and uh, wage gains in tight labor markets are really welcome when they reflect gains in productivity. The, you know, the problem that really arises from this is when wage demands un, uh, undermine a business's ability to compete in the marketplace, which isn't really happening that much. Like there's more demand for the product. So, you know, the the how elastic is the price? Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. What happens? It's always a back and forth. This is like a, a pendulum thing that swings, and it's not really fast. The labor markets don't respond quickly. Um, but now we're at a, these inflection points. 
where uh, demand has increased and uh, the labor market got smaller. And so guess what? That means the price uh, that you can offer when you walk in the door, you can demand more than you thought you could before. And I mean, if I'm giving advice to any of my friends that are looking for a job today, know that value in the market. And it's more than you think you're worth. It really is. Take whatever you're making for a comparable job and add 15 or 20% and start there. Because there is more, if you're qualified and they want you in, then they will pay. They're going to pay. They're going to pay. What I hate to see is people taking that first offer or not necessarily taking the first offer, just setting that bar really low. So know what your value is when you're walking into that door. And, uh, you you know, if you're qualified for it, you should be able to get a higher wage. And especially to my minority friends, my people of color friends, my uh, ladies out there that uh, are maybe coming back into the marketplace after being gone. And so you're, you're willing to take, you know, a lower cost or a lower wage. Don't do it. Don't, don't do it. Talk to somebody that knows that, that market and what that price would be do, doing. It's like walking in and buying a car. You, you know, you want to know what the other people are making uh, for that car. What's the market price for that? And studies are showing time and time again that especially minority women, um, Latinas and, and African-American women often um, get paid way less than men do. And it's not because they're less qualified or that men get paid way much more. It's that you become maybe not very great, good at negotiating the price that, and thinking that you're worth it. And believe me, you're worth it. If you're qualified for that position, you are in such a uh, demand right now. Um, so uh, know your worth in the market. I guess that was one thing that I would say. So anyway, so those those are two two stories. We just got a few minutes left. I, I, I got one other one that I wanted to talk about, which has nothing to do with sales. Uh, and it's all about rock and roll, which is one of my favorite things in the world, rock and roll and good old American rock and roll. And I will believe it or not, this actually applies to the job situation. A lot of people ask, they ask me this question, I've done demos. And so my, the last, uh, you know, many years of my, my job um, was putting on demos, very uh, like long demos, like full day demos. They would take all day to work on, uh, to do. And we would have, uh, would have technical specialists come in and help with the demo um, we would have uh, we would go through all of these different scenarios where we would show okay this is how the the um, the salesperson is going to use it. For example, it was one last one that I did last year was for a, a giant retailer, and uh, so it was you know the store um, something's leaking um, from the roof, and so there's a problem in the store, and so you have uh, and and you know somebody has to come out and fix it. So that whole process, like who, who calls who and what's the next step and how does the guy get paid when they come out to fix the, you know, the air handling unit and how's the bidding work for all of this and what does the store manager do? Like that entire process end to end. We had a, we had a show that and it took one entire day. It actually took two days to go through that entire process with a customer. And so, um, and, uh, you know, sometimes we'll do demos that are one hour long 
And uh, the question is, how long should I work on preparing for a presentation? How long does that take? How much effort? And uh, should uh, should I um, should I um, should I uh, put in? What should I budget for my time to do this? Well. If uh, rock and roll can be of any redemption, um, this will this will help you with that understanding. So um, there was uh, there uh, there is uh, guitar players that are incredible and bands that are just iconic and incredible. And one of them is a band called Metallica. Uh, Metallica is just like a stellar, um, flawless, incredibly accurate awesome rock and roll band. And uh, so anyways, um, there's a lot been written about these guys. They, they're just fantastic. And they've been around for a long time. And if you don't like heavy metal, I, I can appreciate that. that. It's not everybody's piece of cake, but just understand that there is no band on the planet right now that has, has had the longevity and um, sold as much records that would be in this genre of heavy, heavy metal um, bands. There's, there's not, I mean, you have like the Foo Fighters aren't really heavy metal. You have U2 and um, you know, these other bands, they're up at that level. They're just an incredible, they've sold millions and millions of records. There's, they pack stadiums out wherever you go. So about 30 years ago, uh, they had one of their their kind of breakthrough albums that they had twelve tracks and uh, that they did and uh, uh, this uh, article goes into um, them touring that um, so after you record the album of course you got to go on the road and promote it by doing tours and you do rock and roll tours and you go and sell these stadiums out and this was a you know a, a tour that was beyond all tours it's nineteen ninety ones. And um, it was this, they called it the Black Album, was what it was called. And uh, some of these guys were just, you know, young, and they were, um, you know, looking at them, you know, they had long hair, and they were just, you know, argh, you know, they were loud and giant and all of this. Um, so somebody observed in, in this article that we're on the, uh, one of the bands that opened up for them, uh, so kind of the junior band, if you will, looking at their rock and roll heroes said that Metallica would practice for three hours a night before getting on the stage and playing for two hours. So now Mastodon (laughs) who didn't make it as big as them. Meanwhile, they're sitting there drinking beer and picking their noses. That was the, that was the, um, the, um, the quote, you know, that was the quote from the article. Metallica practiced for three hours a night before playing on stage for two. Meanwhile, we're sitting around drinking beer and picking our noses. So, um, you know, uh, the long-term success and the success of the band has a lot to do with how much they were willing to invest in the time that it took to prepare for a show that they're going to do. That that tour was, it took like two and a half years for them to finish that tour. It was the largest tour that was ever done by any band ever. They sold more tickets in that tour than, than promoting that album in 91 than anybody was doing that year. It was incredible. And um, so, <laughs> but I just want to stop and point out that every night before they got on stage, they didn't just do a sound check. They rehearsed for three hours and then they went on and performed for two. So it was a two hour show and every day that, so it's like you want to be able to develop 
And like, so get back to the question. How long do you prepare for a big demo? Well, it's going to vary, obviously. Part of it is how um, polished and professional it needs to be. To these guys, it was is going to be big. They wanted to be they wanted to be spot on. It wasn't just their musical performance; it's a stage performance. So all the little nuances matter: the lighting, the sound, the the, the smoke, <laughs> everything matters. You know, because you're putting on a show, and so it's not just an album that you're playing. You're not sitting down and just everybody's closing their eyes. They're paying a hundred bucks to come and see you in concert. They want to see you, so it's a visual, you know, an auditory experience. And so they wanted to. create create a tremendous experience. So, um, the, the, you know, they obviously work through the details. And so they, that to me, uh, was a big deal. They, they practice all this practice for, uh, just a two hour, uh, two hour show. And, uh, so, um, my general rule of thumb for me, Pierre Halsebus, um, in the job that I had uh, uh, for that particular one was for every hour I'm going to be in front of somebody. Typically, if it's a tailored solution like that one we did, it's eight hours of prep. So let's just run the numbers. What is the numbers? How much time do we have? In fact, I have a little spreadsheet that I have that breaks down all the elements of, between discovery and all the different stages and how much time I'm estimating each one of them um, takes. So if I said I have 16 hours of demo that I'm going to do and I multiplied 16 times 8, that's 128 hours. So a two-day demo I'm planning on you take your 128, divide it by, let's say I can work on that demo for 25 to 30 hours a week. That is five weeks of prep. That's how much effort. And that's about exactly the amount of time that it took for us to prep for that demo. A little over four weeks is what it did. That includes running through it many times, rehearsing, giving feedback to each other, demoing it, getting some people from the customer to preview what the demo, get their feedback, make the adjustments, have the marketing people look at the deck, um, revamp and re um, the script over and over again, refine it and compare and boil this down to 16 hours, this very complex business process and then show the demo uh, to, you know, about 120 people over a meeting. So uh, over a team's meeting, <laughs> that's the kind of work that it takes. So um, that is my rule of thumb. If I am going to, I just got finished writing curriculum for a class. We and per, per putting on a class and that's about the same um, ratio, um, you know, a, a one day class. So I did uh, two days, or excuse me, two weeks. Part of the curriculum was already written. Um, we just finished it last week. It was a two-week class. I started working on that in July. So now I have it done. Now I have it done. I can move on to other things and refine it. That was our done with our first one. But it literally sometimes takes months and months. And when you're, um, you kind of have that hustle is the hack mentality. Some like myself, like I talk about, you got to work on it. You have to really work through it. And you want often what you're looking for is a hack to short circuit that, to make it faster. And sometimes you cannot make it any faster. You have to do the work. That's the hustle in that one. There is no shortcut. The shortcut is doing the work doing the work of refining it, going back at it, beating it up, getting feedback, knocking it apart, being brutally honest, taking the editor's view that the first draft you have, I've got to literally take 30% of this out 
I just need to be arbitrary. And so instead of having 15 points uh, on a slide, I need to come up with 10. And then once I get those 10, I need to, you know, um, go through the group and say, okay, we got 10 points. We need to, 10 things we're going to show. We need to figure out how can we get this down to five. You know, I need to make this memorable. And, you know, you start to boil it down. You start to refine it and get it better and better and better. And that's the kind of work it takes sometimes. You have to do the work. That customer presentation, sometimes you only have those few moments in front of them. And uh, that's how it works. So, guys, that's it. Speaking of being concise, (laughs) speaking of it, I'm just a little over. I'm a little over on my time. But let's uh, bring this to a conclusion. And let me tell you, it is, I just hope you're having a great day. And, uh, you know, we've had nine other shows. This is show number 10. And uh, we're going to start having guests. We're going we're gonna to have so much fun on here, you won't even know what to do with yourself. That's how awesome this is going to be. We've talked about firing to hire. We've talked about the tech X. We've talked about questions of the universe. Um, I, uh, we've talked about honesty and integrity. We've gone through the emotional journey there of, uh, of sales and sales excellence. And uh, so hopefully we can continue this uh, discussion next week uh, as we um, pump out another awesome Hustle is the Hack podcast. Have a super day. <laughs>